Church in Savannah, Georgia. To find out more about CBC, check out our website at cbcofsavannah.org. And now a message from the series Subjects from the Sermon on the Mount. Lord Jesus, we are here to praise you. You are Savior, you are Redeemer. You who pursued us, you who loved us first. And I ask, as we pursue you through your word right now, Lord, as we pursued you through through singing and praising you and delighting in your word, delighting in you who are perfect from birth, delighting the day that you return to the earth. And now that we delight in the pure milk of the word so that by it we may grow in respect to our salvation. And as a broken man and one who struggles probably as much as anyone in this room with the issues we're going to talk about today, Lord. I have no right, I have no ability to speak on such things, such lofty things. But yet you've called me and you've put me on this this stage right now to preach your perfect truth. And let me do so, Lord Jesus, as an imperfect, broken man. And I can only do that if your, your spirit fills me, empowers me. And so I just ask that he would do so right now. So that your people are encouraged and challenged and that we leave being built up in your word and built up in the faith so that we would let our deeds be seen before men that they may glorify you, Father, in heaven. For your name, your son's name, I pray. Amen. Thanks, you guys can have a seat. Matthew chapter 5. Go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you. Um, you can take it with you if you don't have one. I'd love for you to. Um, I just want to say before we jump into our text today, you know, there's a lot going on in this church and there has been and it's been a lot of craziness and, and there's a lot of people that do a lot of stuff here and I just want to thank y'all. Um, we have folks that are serving behind the scenes. We got Sunday school teachers that are preparing during the week. We have people who are dealing with crying children right now that aren't their own. It's hard enough when your own child's crying, right? Um, we have people that set up, we have people that tear down, that clean up, that make coffee, that lead small groups, that give, that we have so many people doing so many things, which is why I think God has blessed this church and, and we've seen, uh, lives changed. And so I just want to thank y'all personally. I mean, thank you for being patient with us as, as God is kind of directing the leadership team of the church and the elders in a direction. Um, he's closed some doors about our space problem. And so, um, so we have a little bit of, of uh, leading right now, but we're still waiting for God to confirm some things. And so just be praying for us as we keep seeking that. But I thank you for your, all you guys do, your patience, your, your servant uh, heart, and uh, just it's, it's really neat to see the body be the body. And so I just want to thank you for that. Um, Matthew chapter 5. We've been in a series, if you're new, if you're visiting, if you forget, on the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus has showed up in Galilee and there's tons of crowds following him. Um, But Jesus is not interested in fans. He's not interested in having a Facebook page where everyone likes him. He is interested in followers. And so what does he do? He looks at his disciples, he looks at the crowds, and he sits down and he begins to teach his disciples. 
All right? And he doesn't start where we might start as the king giving orders and giving rules. He doesn't say go do anything. He says blessed are those who what? Who be these things. Who are the peacemakers. The spiritually broken. Those who mourn over sin. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who are willing to take a stand for my name. Blessed, content, satisfied, approved are those people. Right? And he's teaching them what does it look like to live as subjects of the king. In 30 AD, and the same thing is true now living in 2011 AD. These are what following the king looks like in Savannah, Georgia, or wherever God has you. So he starts with who you are. And then he says, and if you are these things, if this is the characteristics of your life, you will have influence. You will be salt. You will be light. There's a preservation factor there where you will stop the corruption somewhat. You'll stop the rot in specific areas. And you will be distinct like salt when it's added to something. There will be flavor. People will know that it's there. That's who you will be. And you will thus give glory to God who is in heaven. Father, because people will see that. Well, last week he kind of moved into a section where he kind of changes direction of the sermon. There's the Pharisees. They don't like Jesus. They say he's anti-law. He's anti-Moses. He's against everything they stand for. And so Jesus starts addressing that and says, You think that I'm against the law? Let me tell you about my view of the Old Testament scriptures. He says, I haven't come to abolish them. I haven't done away with them. I, Jesus, fulfill them. They are about me. They speak of me. They prophesy of me. They picture me. Everything about them is about me. And not only that, Jesus is teaching that he's the only one that could fulfill the law. He's the only one that kept the law. He's the only one that could. He's the only one that's innocent. And he's the only one who rightly interprets it. He's the only one that shows the original intent. Remember the Pharisees, they focused on the external, all the religion, all the outside. He says, look, unless your righteousness, disciples, surpasses that of the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom. How is that going to be the case? Because we're talking internal righteousness that comes from God. And so what Jesus does, and we're going to see it for the next six weeks, is he's going to address certain areas that they missed it. That they thought, oh, I'm good to go. I'm keeping this. And he's going to say, he's going to show the original intent. He starts with murder. And he says, today, he says, you've heard it said you shouldn't murder. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, good. I missed it today. I'm good to go, right? I haven't killed anybody in years. I mean, I'm good since high school, right? But that's the whole point. Jesus says, have you really followed me in this? If you've never gone, you know, Bonnie and Clyde on someone? Is that what he's saying? And so he's going to show the intent. He's going to show what does it mean to follow Jesus, to live under grace, and still continue to follow what the Old Testament intent was. And so that's what we're going to do today. And we're going to look just this, this first one. I have three big picture principles kind of for you. Kind of if you're if today, if you're a Southern Baptist, today is your day. I mean, I got three points. I mean, this is it. Amen. Right? Okay. If you're not, you're like, what is he talking about? It's okay. But I got three big picture application, three big picture foundational principles that we need to get, and then some applications. And so if you're taking notes in your outline, that's kind of what's going on there. Um, so Matthew chapter. 5 verses 21. Let's just jump into the text. All right. Verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Jesus is going to start every one of these statements. You've heard it said, and then he's going to say, but I say, and the first one, he says, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder common knowledge. They all know this one. I mean, this is number six on the big 10. All the Jews, it's, it's like John three sixteen. Jesus wept one of these other verses. Everyone knows that, right? Nothing new there. And Jesus is not contradicting it. He said, you've heard it said, shouldn't murder. You also know that whoever murders will be liable to judgment. They knew that murder was wrong. And they knew that if you did that, the punishment was what? Was death. 
That was what the law required. So this is nothing new. But let's kind of unpack that for a minute because this is kind of essential to our text. He says, you shall not what? Murder. Now, if you got the King James, the old Charlton Heston version, thou shall not kill. Right? That's what it says. And, and because of the wording there of the older, older translations, they use the word kill. There's been some confusion. Some denominations like the Quakers and some others said, well, I can't go to war if I'm a Christian. I can't be a policeman if I'm a Christian. The capital punishment, these things are all killing, so I can't do that. But the, the old translations kind of miss the idea of the verb. The verb is to murder. It is to murder. It's not just kill. It's murder. Premeditated. I go out and I kill someone illegally. That was what was, was against the law. That was what he was talking about. And that's important because the punishment for murder was what? Was the death penalty. Okay? Now, why is that? Why did God do that? Not because he just wanted a bunch of nice people running around. There's a theological underpinning there. There's something going on. Okay? The value of human life is so great and it's so high that if you take a life, if you murder... Your life will be taken. That's the idea behind the command. And so as soon as Moses, Noah, not Moses, Noah gets off the boat. All right. This is pre-Moses. This is pre-Abraham. This is right after Noah and his family gets off the boat. One of the first thing God tells him is this. Genesis 9, 6. You, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? Keyword four. For God made man in his own image. Why is murder wrong? Why is the punishment so high? Because man has so much value and woman and humanity because they're made what? In the image of God. That's where the value lies. That's why it's so important. That's why it's so essential, right? Because humans, are the, they're unique in creation. He makes chickens, he makes hippos, he makes snakes, he makes trees, and everything else is fine, it's good. But when he comes to man, this is different. This is special, these are my representatives. These are in my image. You know, and I was, we were watching a movie on family movie night this week, Monday night. And I, and I was in the middle of the movie and I'm like, you know who, who understands this? Is Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss understands Because we were watching Horton Hears a Who. Okay? Those with kids, they don't have kids, they've, they've read the book, right? But those of you are like, Horton Hears a Who. Horton Hears a Who. Here's the story. Horton is an elephant. He's a happy elephant, right? And he's just wandering through the forest one day and he hears a... Okay, here's a scream. And he's like, what is that scream? And it turns out that scream is coming from a flower. And on that flower, there's a speck. And on that speck, there's a little guy going, eh, help me, help me. That's a different movie, but um, he's yelling something. And because Horton's an elephant and he has big ears, he hears it. And it turns out that there's this guy, he's the mayor of Whoville. This little speck is not a speck, it's actually a little planet. And on this planet is a town called Whoville. And on this, in this town is a mayor, and this, this, this speck is in danger. And Horton finds it. And everyone in the jungle wants to throw the speck away and crush the speck. This, the, all, there's this Vlad, there's this, there's a, what is he called? He's a bird, he's a, uh, a vulture. He's trying to kill it, and there's this mean kangaroo mom, and she's trying to kill it, and all the monkeys, and everyone wants to kill the speck. And poor old Horton's the only one. And so he risks life, limb, trunk, and everything to save the speck, right? That he's the only one that can hear. And throughout the book, he keeps saying the same thing. And throughout the movie, he says the same thing. And this is what he says. Even though you can't see them or hear them at all, a person's a person, no matter how small. And that's why he risks everything. Why? 
Because a person is a person. That's it, period. It doesn't matter how small. Your value is not based on how tall you are, praise the Lord, how gifted you are, right? It's not based on what family, your money, your ability. It's based on the fact that you are a person. And so Horton risks everything to protect the speck. And finally, in the end, everyone's happy and they find out, they hear the little guy yell. And, and so they all protect the speck, right? But that's the same idea. Dr. Seuss gets it. Humanity is essential value because God sends his son to die on a cross for people. This is why the moment of conception, there is life and there is value. Not because of size, because it's person. And so all should be done to protect person. Because infinite value. Jesus loves that person. Jesus died for that person. Jesus created that person. Nothing to do with ability, height, weight, anything. And that's the, that's the heart of of the command. And so the first underlying principle that you have to understand this morning as we work through the text is this, that people, humanity, persons have incredible value to God. People have incredible value because they are made in his image. Chickens don't have incredible value. Cows don't have, even dogs. I know that's shocking to some of y'all, but even dogs, right? That doesn't, God doesn't not, it's not, he doesn't love the chickens. He doesn't not love the dogs. He doesn't, but he made man different. And so he says, eat the chicken. If you're in China, eat the dog. Sorry, they do. But humans are special because they're made in my image. Okay? They're special. And so the question is this. Well, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't gone Call of Duty 4 on anybody. So I must be good. I must be good to go. I've kept the command, right? That's what the Pharisees would say. Absolutely, you've good to go. You've kept the command. But Jesus said, oh, hold on, text. Next verse. But I say to you, ego a me. It's emphatic in the Greek. It's like saying, I, even I. And this is an unbelievable, we could, we could unpack this for, for weeks. But this is Jesus saying, I'm over scripture in essence. I wrote the thing. I have authority even over the scriptures. You've heard it said. I'm not contradicting it, but let me tell you what it means. I, even I, say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Just your anger towards a person, you're liable to judgment. Same exact Greek phrase as when he says you should not murder. Liable to judgment. You get angry with a person. You're guilty of this commandment. But not just anger. He says this, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to hell. Even your insults make you guilty. Except when you're in the car. Those don't count. Right? right you gotta be careful in the car. One of the adults in my house, I won't say which one, um, were driving a few weeks ago and, and said, come on, lady! And the three-year-old, who is always the test of spirituality in the house, said, yeah, come on, yady! In the back. Right? Careful what you talk about in the car. Right? How you respond. But Jesus is he's upping it a notch, isn't he? He's saying, it's not just you swinging the axe. He said, what's in here? What's the internal attitude of your heart? And he's not saying, you know, he says, if you insult, the Greek there is saying raka. Raka doesn't mean anything to us, even though some of our translations bring it over. It's not an insult in our day. But the idea is, you idiot. Worthless. He says, if you call someone a fool... Greek word moros. You say moron, worthless, empty head. If you do these things, you're guilty of hell. And he's not saying you say, if you call someone a name, you're going to hell. The point is this. That's just as guilty. You're just as guilty though. It's, a, it's sin. And you're just as guilty if you swing the axe or if you're angry. Right? Why? 
Because it's not just swinging the axe and killing someone. He says, you don't kill someone, but you don't hurt them either. You don't hurt someone. Why? Even though you can't hear them or see them at all. A person is a person, no matter how small. Because the value of man is so great because they're made in God's image that even hurting it, purposely hurting that person, is breaking the intent of this law internally. And that's the second point that we need to understand, that God takes hurting people, takes anger seriously. It is a serious thing. Anger is one of those things that, I don't know if I, if I handed out papers and pencils to everyone and I said, define anger. I don't know if anyone could actually come up with a good definition, but everyone knows what it looks like, don't they? may not be able to define it, but you know what anger looks like and you know when it's against you. Jerry Bridges in his book, Respectable Sins, has two chapters on anger. It's a respectable sin because we hammer drugs and alcohol, pornography, all the bad murder things, you know. But no one wants to talk about anger. Why? I think because anger is so common. It's, it's just because it's so common. So we let that one slide because, you know what, everyone since the beginning has always had to deal with it. Not everyone struggles with marijuana. But everyone has to deal in some way with anger. It's just a common thing. And we let it slide and it's not a big deal. Why? Because everyone does it. And I think that's why Jesus starts. I mean, he's going to talk about some serious stuff. He's going to talk marriage. He's going to talk adultery. He's going to talk golden rule. He's going to talk lying. Where does he start, though? He starts with anger. Isn't that interesting? Why? Because it's serious. Because a person is a person, no matter how small. No matter how small. And, and I know that there's someone in the room right now, if this was like a Q&A section, someone in the room would be in the back. It'd probably be in the back person. Uh, say, I have a question. Yes. When are we allowed to be angry? Wasn't Jesus angry, right? Because we're always looking for the out. Where am I allowed to break the rule, so to speak, right? And it is a good point that Jesus at one point was angry. So I did a little, a little search this week through the scriptures, and I, and I searched all the gospels, and I searched for every time it said that Jesus was angry. You know how many times in the gospels the word Jesus and anger in the same paragraph are used when he's not telling a, a parable? One. One time the scripture says Jesus was angry. It's not what you think. In Mark chapter 3, he is in the synagogue on a Sunday, and there's a man with a, a, a withered hand. And he asked the Pharisees, is it all right if I heal him? Sabbath? They don't say anything. And it says he looked at them with anger. And he also grieved. And then he heals them. You know, it never says he actually, he doesn't even address them after that. He doesn't yell at them. It's just he heals them. That's the only time in all the Gospels where it says explicitly that Jesus was angry. Now, yes, when he flips the tables and he, and, he, and he throws everyone out of the temple, there is a righteous anger there. But, you know, in every case of that, it's Jesus dealing with injustice or his father's name being defamed or people robbing God. It never has anything to do with Jesus. In fact, when he is, when he is spit on and he is mocked and he is beaten and he's unjustly tried, the only thing he says is, Father, forgive him. Okay, And so if, if you're going to be real honest and I'm going to be honest, righteous anger takes place very rarely in our lives. Most of the time it's because I'm, I didn't get my way or my ego was attacked or something happened that frustrated me. Right? That, that's, the, that's where it really happens. I was upset at a point this week. Um, and I was about, of course, any time that I'm studying a passage, I get like tenfold of it. Right? And so I was just frustrated with something. And I had to ask myself, why am I angry about this right now? Is this righteous? And when I asked that question, it was very clear. This is about you. It had nothing to do with God. See, righteous anger, number one, is always self-controlled. Number two, 
never causes a person to lose their temper. Number three is never assaulting another person. Never. Never. It always has to do with God and His will and His goodness. Never see Jesus assault, even when He's upset. Why? Because a person's a person. That's why. And because people are valuable, because your kids, your baby, your in-laws, your neighbors, your teenagers, your co-worker, because they are valuable, God takes anger seriously. And so I know that she's driving 25 and a 35. I know it. She's 85 and loving life. Right? Does it really matter if you get there two minutes earlier or not? What's more valuable? You assaulting her or getting, and getting there two minutes earlier? What's more valuable? A person or two minutes? Think about it. A person or two minutes? I know that they promised they'd be there at 1130 and it's 11.42 and how precious is your time. Or they said they would finish this project and they never did. I understand that. But have you ever been late? Have you ever done something to disappoint other people? Right? So you're going to assault them for 12 minutes or a project that wasn't finished? What's more valuable, a project or a person? Right? I know you told the kids to stop drinking in the den, that they're going to spill, and they did it. And now you got a big stain. And yes, there's an issue of disobedience that might need to be dealt with, but it's carpet. It's carpet. What's more valuable, the three-year-old or the carpet? Person's a person. I know that their dog went in your yard again. Right? That's what dogs do. Better in your yard than your house. It's grass. It's grass. Grass, it's good for the grass, actually. What's more important? Your testimony, you blowing up at them over their dog, or a person? I know he was a lousy father. I know that they were disrespectful. I know they weren't good parents. I know they were never there. Does that mean you hold grudges? Does that mean you don't release them? No, a person is a person. They are made in God's image, no matter how small. That's the principle here. A person's a person. And here, and just some general application. Look, conflict, normal. In marriage, absolutely. Right? In your work, in your ministry, going to happen. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to be disappointed. That's going to happen in life, right? The guys in the office, that, it's going to happen. This week I had a, a date with Sarah. We had a little lunch date. Great date. Went to a little thrift shop, went for a walk, had some sushi. It was great. I'm headed back to the office to be spiritual and work on the sermon, right? And I'm coming down Waters. I mean, excuse me, I'm coming down Montgomery Crossroads. I got to turn left on Waters. Now that light lasts like three seconds to turn left. And I'm like six in line, so I'm thinking I'm good to go. But some very nice person in the very front must have been texting or checking their something. The light's green. Come on! I gotta go preach! Right? And sure enough, I get there, yellow light, red, and I'm stuck. And the first thing that come to my mind is I'm going back to study this text. Right? And I'm thinking, it's two minutes. Am I annoyed? Yes. How do we handle those situations? I'll tell you how I did it. That night when I was coming home, I saw my neighbor who speeds through our neighborhood behind me. So I went 25 the entire way for two miles. <laughs> just, a, just a, I'm going to speed limit, right? But, but those things are going to happen, right? They're going to happen. How are you going to handle them is the question. Okay, that's a silly two-minute thing. There's more serious ones, I realize. But how you respond to those That's what Jesus is talking about. That's the point. That's where the command is meant to be lived, right? Big picture, what is it going to be about? And if you're that person that that loves conflict and has to win, 
and has to be right. This is going to be a tough passage for you. Right? And, and I like to win. I, I do. And so if you always have to be right, this is a challenge, right? Or if you're the person that doesn't like conflict, so you just hide and stew over it. And, and let the sun go down in your anger. Equally wrong. In fact, the passage that we always go to, be angry and do not sin, we always use it to justify our anger. The passage is not be angry and do not sin. The next portion says what? Don't let the sun go down on it. The point is, d- deal with it. Okay, get rid of it now. That's the point. And whatever it is, you need to deal with it. Right? Some of you, your preferences become absolute truth. And so this is your way is not just a way, it's the way. And you need to understand that your way is not right or wrong. It's just a way. And they might do it differently and that's fine. Right? These, these are Because what happens when your way doesn't happen, then we get angry and frustrated and mad. And you didn't do it the way I would do it. These are things that you need to let go. You need to release. Right? Do, be angry and not sin. Probably the biggest application that we can all attest to is how you use your mouth. Parents, spouses, roommates, teenagers. How do you use your mouth? Be careful. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt them. Right? I would much rather you hit me with a stick. And I'm being dead serious. Or throw a rock than to to discourage or be critical or, or, or beat down. Because those things last. Right? You're worthless. You'll never be anything. I wish I never met you. I hate you. I, I wish you would divorce me. I wish you weren't my parents. I wish we never roomed together. Whatever it is. Deadly. Deadly. James says, look. Your mouth, you, you come in and sing hallelujah. And you go out and you curse. Man, you're worthless. He says, can a, can a stream have fresh water and salt water? Does a spring have fresh water and salt? Can you just turn it off? No. He said, it's the same way it's supposed to be with our mouth. You can't come in here, hallelujah, and go out, you're worthless. That's what he's saying. It's inconsistent. It shouldn't be changed. And I think the reason Jesus uses, he says four times, he says, I say to you, whoever's angry with who? With his brother. He goes down and says again, he's brother. And in the next couple of verses, we'll see he uses brother again four times. Why does he say brother and not just your neighbor? Because the people that we're typically the least patient with, the most harsh with is who? Those we rub shoulders with all the time. Those closest, our family, our kids, our spouse, our parents, right? Those are the ones we're real impatient. How do I know? Because if the neighbor comes over and tracks mud in the house, we don't care. Oh, it's fine. We'll clean up. If the kid does it, woo, Right? Someone, you know, someone, you know, a business partner or whatever, five minutes late to a meeting. It's no big deal. Oh, no big deal. I'm just drinking my coffee, checking my internet. But you better not. You know, if your wife's late, oh, you better watch it. Your kids come in 1101. Oh, right. Because, because in those, those relationships, those intimate relationships, that's where this is best lived out. It's where it's the most challenging. And we need to learn to control, to tame the tongue by the power of the Holy Spirit. It can be done. The, ra- the reason I know is because you do it all the time. You just don't realize it. I mean, I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many people got in a fight on the way to church today? Yo, no, I can't believe you. Oh, come on, relate. Oh, you know, all those things. You get to the church. Brother, how was your week? Oh, praise the Lord. Right? The phone call. You're yelling at the kids, yelling at your husband. Oh, oh, oh. Phone call. Fellow residents. Bill speaking. Sure, I'll take Sunday school class for you. Bless you. Yeah, oh, you cross yourself. You do it all. You hang up and you're still going. Right? We can tame the tongue. It's just that we don't choose to. Why? Because we don't value people like we should, especially those closest. It's just my kids. It's just my, it's just my wife. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. 
is not just anything. A person is a person, no matter how small. These matter. These matter. And, and let me just give you just kind of a side note, a sermon within a sermon. What happens if you don't deal with anger? What happens if you let it fester? What happens if you just, just keep letting it go? Let me give you four quick things, real practical things from the scriptures. Number one, if you don't deal with anger in your life, it gives Satan a foothold in your life. It gives him an open door. That same passage we always go to. Be angry and not sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. The very next portion of scriptures, you know what it says? Don't give the devil an opportunity. Because when you, when you have that anger, you've cracked the door of your heart just a little bit. And you've given him some leverage. And when you give him an inch, he takes a mile. And he'll callous yourself and callous your heart. He gives Satan a foothold. Secondly, it leads to other greater sins. Remember the story of Cain and Abel? Cain's offering wasn't accepted. Abel's was, right? And God says to Cain, if, if, you, don't, if you do well, won't you be accepted? Since sin is crouching at your door, you must master it. Or it's going to master you. And Cain doesn't listen. And what does he do? He lets the anger fester and he goes out and kills his brother. And anger is just, it's just a start. It's, it, in, in Hebrews 12, this is what the writer of Hebrews says. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by many, many become defiled. A root starts small. It starts in the ground. You don't even see it. There's that resentment. That bitterness, you don't know it's there, but it's there. But eventually it sprouts. Eventually some fruit comes out. And then it moves into outbursts of anger and dissension and hostility. And maybe you're violent with a child when you're, when you're frustrated. Or you say something about a, a, a person that you can't take back. And it wasn't dealt with when it was just a root. And anyone who ever worked in the yard, the bigger the root, the harder it is to get out. You've got to get it when it's small. And if you're holding on to something... You need to go to that person. Otherwise, that root hardens, it grows, and you start seeing the fruit of it. Root of bitterness. Third thing, if you don't deal with it, it tarnishes the name of the Lord. Romans 12 talks about how the name of Jesus is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles, amongst the lost people, because Christians, right? Few things stand out more than an angry person, right? A few weeks ago, my son, my three-year-old, again, the test of spirituality in our, in our house, he comes to me and, and wants to throw baseball in the house. And he's got a bat and a ball. And I'm all for baseball, but in the house it's kind of like... And so I say, no, we're not going to do that. So he goes upstairs to Mama. And Mama says, you need to go back downstairs to Daddy and ask him to play baseball. And he says, no. Daddy's being a madman downstairs. <laughs> and, and, and that's... I, don't, I, I look back and I'm like, was I, was I mad? Did I come across as angry? Because I wasn't. But did I come across that way? Because if I did, there's something wrong here. Everyone knows the guy who yells at the coach because his kid's not getting the playing time. Everyone knows the obnoxious parent at the soccer game. Everyone knows the guy in the neighborhood who yells. Everyone knows that guy that you have to tiptoe around at the office because you don't know what's going on. It stands out. And as the pastor, sometimes people say, oh, I know so-and-so at your church. And I'm always, when they say that, I'm always like, yeah. What, what, yeah, what about them? And, and 99.3725% of the time, everyone says, you yeah, know, they're a great person. They're a nice guy. They're a nice gal. But there's once in a while, not very often, but once in a while, there's that, you know, he's just he's such an unkind guy sometimes. And that kind of hurts me, not from our church's perspective, but from, from the Lord's name perspective. Because as a Christian, 
God is, has been reckless in his pursuit of reconciliation and peacemaking, so much so that he dies on a cross. And for his people to be ugly and unkind, it blasphemes the name of the precious Savior who you are an ambassador and are supposed to be an agent of reconciliation. And so it tarnishes the name of Jesus. Don't be that couple that goes to lunch after church and yells at your waitress because she got it wrong and, and leaves a $2 tip in a track. Don't be that person. Don't be the person who complains because your kid doesn't get to do this and you're always this, that, that, the other because it's, it's just about you and it's not really about... It's a, it's a seven-year-old t-ball. It's not the World Series, right? And even if it was, it doesn't matter, right? God's people are kind. Blessed are the peacemakers, the pure in heart, the gentle, those who mourn, right? Those who suffer unjustly for my name's sake. That's who Jesus says. So it tarnishes his name if you hold on to this. And then lastly, and this is probably the most serious, it proves in the case of the person that's just always, I mean, always angry. This is your character. This is your nature. You were never kind. You were always angry. I would say that it proves based on scripture that you're not converted. I don't care what aisle you've walked or what church you've been a part of or what baptism you had. Let me give you some passages of Scripture to kind of wrestle through. First John says this. This is John writing, and, I, and it's, it's connected to this sermon. I guarantee that's where he got. He says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. He's not saying a murderer can't go to heaven. David went to heaven. Right? That's not what he's saying. But he's saying if this is your character, that of a hateful person, how does the love of Christ abide in you? It doesn't. Everyone loses their temper. Everyone yells, come on, Yady. Everyone does that once in a while. We're not talking about that. But is this your life? Are you the madman? This is what Paul says in Galatians 5. The works of the flesh are evident. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. And he gets into enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Okay? I warn you, as I warned before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, it's not that you can't be forgiven, that you would never do this. But if this is your life... If this is the only thing you ever are, you got to ask yourself, does the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, does that spirit indwell you? Because according to scripture, no. So that, if that's the character and you're always angry, there's something deeper there that needs to be dealt with. Um, you're the mad guy. Ultimately, Jesus says, my subjects are kind, gentle, Pure in heart, peacemakers, patient, love, joy, peace, patience. That's what we want to be known. Don't you want to be known as the, the kind church? I don't care if we're the cool church or the loud church. It's, wouldn't it be great if this was known as a kind church? Isn't that a great thing to be known as? That's a kind family. That's a kind woman. I'm a kind mother. My mom was kind. Isn't that a great compliment? I don't know if there's a higher compliment. They're kind. That's what we're talking about. Now, you can say a lot more about anger. The whole New Testament is just sprinkled in. Let me give you some passages. Maybe if you're wrestling, you can go and look at them. Colossians 3.8 says, rid yourself of anger. 1 Timothy 2.8 says that men, this is not anger. This is not supposed to be taking place among you. James 1.19 and 20 said, the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Just some passages to go look through and wrestle with. God takes anger seriously. Why? Because a person is a person, no matter how small. And it matters, right? So let's go back to our text in Matthew. Jesus continues. And Jesus now gets real specific and applicational. He says in verse 23, So, 
the Greek word un. It's also translated therefore in other places, right? It's linking back. Because of what I said, because people are people, because they're important, because anger is serious. So, because of all that, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and you dare remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Now, this is kind of a hard for us to get, 2011. Okay, we don't get it. You've got to get in the first century Jew's mind. Where's the altar? The altar is up in the temple. Where's the temple? In Jerusalem. Okay? Then everyone didn't live in Jerusalem. They lived all over. And you were required to go to the temple as a man three times a year for certain feasts. But it might take a week. It might take two weeks. I mean, it was taking time off of work, packing up the fam, getting on the camel, riding down the road. And finally you get to Jerusalem and there's a temple. And it's not that big. It's, it's not much bigger than this church. And thousands and thousands of people are there because this is a happening city and the feast is going on. Everyone else is there. And so if you're going to get in the temple, guess what's going to happen? There's going to be lines. You got your sheep or your doves or your offering. And there is just, it's like Disney World on steroids. I mean, just all the way in and there's priests at the end and you get up to the altar and they'd say, confess your sins. And you would, and they'd kill the animal and say, the, bl- the blood is shed for your sins. There's been atonement, but it would take all day. You'd be in the back of the line with your sheep and your family. Just, man, this is forever. And he says, finally, when you get to the end, it's your next, your next spot. You're going up next. And then you remember. Oh, so your brother, notice the wording, that your brother has something against you. It's not you have something against him. You have no problem with him. You didn't even remember. It's not even an issue. He's not even in your mind. But he has something against you. And it's not just that he doesn't like you. He has a legitimate claim against you. You haven't paid him back. You were rude. You haven't apologized to him. Whatever it is. You are at the most inconvenient time in your life at the end of the line. And you are completely innocent from as far as perspective. You got nothing wrong with anybody. But he has something against you. And so what does Jesus say? Leave. Put your sheep down, get out of line, and go and deal with it. Go and deal with it. Now, the first thing I would be thinking is, can I just go one more spot? I'll deal with it. I'll kill the lamb, and then I'll go deal with it. I mean, he's down in Jericho. He's He's up in Samaria. I don't even know where he lives. I don't know where he is anymore. Leave and go deal with it. And then come back and get in line. Okay? Then come back. And get in line. See, here's the third major principle for us. Is that in God's eyes, relationships matter. They are important. Jesus is showing the priority of relationships. And if these horizontal relationships are out of whack, then this one is out of whack too. Okay? This one is out of whack too. You can't come in here and worship. You can't offer this and be wrong here. Right? Why? What is worship? It's an attitude of the heart. It's not the killing of the lamb or whatever that matters. It's the heart. And if this isn't right and you have heart issues with other people, don't come in here. Time and time and time and time again, we see in the Old Testament that God says, I don't want your lambs. I don't need your goats. I don't eat. I'm not impressed by goats and offerings and all these things. He says in 1 Samuel to Saul, Has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings or sacrifice? As obeying, behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice. He says in Hosea, I desire chesed, loving kindness, faithfulness, and not sacrifice. Knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Psalm 51, David says, You don't delight in sacrifice or I'd give it. You're not pleased in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken heart. 
constantly, God says, I don't care. Hold your finger here and turn to the book of Micah. Now, if you're some of you, you'll never turn to Micah in your life. So this will be a good day for you. Um, turn backwards. Just keep kind of flipping slowly. It's a small prophet. It's right after Jonah. It's only seven chapters. Um, so, you know, it's probably a, just a couple pages, really, in your Bible. Book of Micah. If you need the front, use the table contents, please. Don't be embarrassed. Some of you have, you're new to the Bible. That's fine. But I want you to see this one. And I have a slide, but I want you in your Bible. So the only reason you can look up is if you don't have a Bible or you have a kid on your lap, okay? Because I want you to get in the Bible. It's part of being a disciple is being familiar with your scriptures. Micah 6. And he says this in verse 6. He starts asking questions. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Implied answer, no. Will the Lord be pleased with the thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Answer, no. Shall I give my firstborn, my, my firstborn child for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Answer, no. And then he gives the answer. He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. These relationships, gentleness, kindness, justice, loving kindness, this is what matters. It doesn't matter hands up, I tithe, I went to Sunday school. God says, I'm not impressed with the outside. I want to see these relationships godly. Time and time and time again, these things impact this. Husbands, Peter says, if you do not live with your wives in an understanding way, then don't even pray because I'm not even listening. Don't even pray. The psalmist says, if I regard, if I cherish iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. These matter. They impact this. They impact worship. Now, I'm not saying I don't think the application is for all of us to run out and go find our you know, third grade teacher, Mrs. McGillicuddy, and say, well, I cheated on my spelling exam. You know, that's not the solution. Unless you're in third grade right now and your teacher is Mrs. McGillicuddy. Then that solution is for you. But if you're, you know, you, that's not the solution. It's not some legalistic thing. What Jesus is highlighting is that relationships, the way, fathers, that you love your kids matters. The way, teenagers, that you honor your parents matters. The way, college students, you treat your college professors, that atheist who's always saying stuff, matters. The way that you approach those neighbors that annoy you because they don't cut their grass or their weeds are coming over into your yard matters. It matters. And Jesus highlights the urgency with which he says, deal with this. Verse 25, he gives another illustration. It's a civil illustration. It's just to to show the the urgency. He says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. You're on the way to court. Ride in the same cab. Try to deal with it before you get there. Why not? Because lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. He's saying, look, deal with it now. There's urgency. It's important because if you don't, the consequences are severe and you will not escape them. So deal with it now. The solution that when Jesus is mine to conflict in these things and anger, let me very simply is this. It's to follow the advice of Barney Fife. Nip it in the bud. Right? Remember he used to say that? Nip it in the bud. Right? But that's great advice. 
It's the nip. If someone has something against you, nip it in the bud as much as you can. If possible, be at peace with all men. It's not always possible. But if it is, do that. If there's resentment, deal with it. Nip it in the bud. And it's not, again, running down the street and finding the kid you made fun of in fifth grade for being short. Although you shouldn't have done that. It is saying, Lord, have I hurt someone's feelings? Have I been insensitive to my wife this week? Have I yelled at my kids? Have I, have I been Mr. Madman because I had a, a lousy day? Or I got a bad grade in a test so I was short with my roommate? Or I was disrespectful to my parents in front of my friends? Those are what we're talking about. I talked about my boss behind his back and he heard about it. That's what we're talking about. Right? Have you been insensitive in that way? Maybe at your old church there was conflict and you just blew it up and left. And you need to go and say you're sorry. Maybe there's been a prior marriage, which it wasn't all your fault, but there was partially your fault. And you need to kind of write a letter and say, you know what? We, I was wrong. And, and I, I just say, I apologize. Maybe it's that. Right? And let me just say this. Sometimes you won't even know that you hurt somebody. Sometimes it's not on purpose. Sometimes it is. Sometimes you, are, you just do it. You're, I, how many times in 13 and a half years of marriage have I been insensitive and a jerk? And I didn't even mean to be. I thought I was a good guy. I thought I was helping, but I said something that was insensitive. I said something that was not loving. I was harsh with the kids and I didn't even, I just didn't even know it. Well, just because I didn't know it and I didn't mean it, does that mean I don't do anything about it? Well, I didn't mean that, so I'm not going to apologize. No, you go and make that right. I'm, I'm sorry for being insensitive. I'm sorry I was disrespectful. I'm sorry I flipped out. I mean, if you've never apologized to your kids, there's a problem. Because you've messed up. And they know it. And for to hear a dad or a mom say, you know what, I, I'm sorry I lost my temper. It's huge. It's huge. No one's perfect. No one's expecting you to be. Right? It's impossible. If you're in ministry of any type, you will unintentionally probably hurt someone at some point. You just will. I've done it. I've said things that were insensitive from the pulpit. I've ignored people that I shouldn't have. And, and you know what? Just because it wasn't my intent, I still need to go and say, you know what? I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Or fix that as best as I can. You will hurt. Remember the story of Mary and Martha? Martha is serving, serving her guts out. And Mary's just sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to the Bible study. And Martha is serving her heart out and loving Jesus. And so she comes in and what does she do? She blows up the entire Bible study. Why? Because Mary should be in with me. And this is what Jesus, you need to tell her. And what does she do? Does she mean to blow up the Bible study? No. She's serving. She's in ministry. But she blows it up and hurts everybody because now Jesus has to stop teaching. Right? Was that intended? No. That sometimes happens. And when it does, even if it's unintentional, you go and you say, if they have something against you, Jesus says, go, make it quick. Do it now. Deal with it. Nip it in the bud. Right? Because if you, if you, if you go out and you're just slaying people with your words and slaying people with your hearts, like you have no platform. You have nothing to say. It doesn't matter how orthodox you are. You have no ministry. In fact, you're not supposed to be in ministry if that's the case. Right? Because you can't come in and offer your sacrifice when you just murdered somebody out in the street. All right? You cannot do it. Jesus says, stop, leave it there, and go get it. And, and, and I think the thing is this. It's not as soon as we pray, you're going to run out the street. But here, don't wait. I'll just see him at Thanksgiving. I'll see him at Christmas. I'll deal with it later. No, you need to intend today if there's that person. I'm going to write that letter today. I'm going to make that phone call today. I'm going to try my best. It's not always possible. I understand that. If possible, be at peace. That's what he says, if possible. Right? That's the heart. That is the intent of what the law was. Not, did you slay someone with an axe? 
How do you treat people? Are you kind? Are you kind? That's the heart of the law. And why is that so important? Because people are important. Because it doesn't matter if you can see them or hear them at all. A person is a person, no matter how small. Can you imagine if the church would, would, would do these things? Matthew 18, if you had a problem with someone, would go to that person instead of talking about that person. Can you imagine how different people would view church and Christians? How, how awesome that would be if, if we talk to people instead of about them, if we deal with these things, if there's never... How different would the impact of the church of Jesus Christ be? It's important. And is it easy? Sometimes it's hard, hard. Like we joke, we joke about two minutes in a car, someone cutting us off. Those are little things. Some of you have been very hurt and wounded by people. And, and, and I understand that. And it is hard. I understand that too. But that's why Jesus said, didn't say, take up your backpack and follow me. He said, take up a cross. A big, heavy, wooden instrument. And sometimes that's hard. But it was hard for Jesus to take up the sins of the world, which he was completely innocent of, and then be poured out on himself. And now he says, look, I'm the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and I did this. Now you're my subjects. Now you follow me. You follow me. And we're going to get into a few weeks. That's the tip of the iceberg. When he starts talking about your enemies, that's when it gets real. You follow me. I, I want to be a kind church. I know I'm not always. My kids know I'm not always. And, and the Lord knows my heart in that. I want us to be a group of people who love Jesus, but that are kind. That's what I want. It's my prayer for us as God continues to add to our numbers and use us. It's so important, y'all. Buildings aren't important. Sermons, eh, there's some vitalness there, but they're not in the end not important. Worship songs, lights, they're not important. People are important. People are valuable. So nip it in the bud. Person's a person, no matter how small. Be a kind, church. Let's be kind. Because when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out richly on us through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You went from enemy to an heir. That's kind. Now it's our turn. The kindness of God is what? Meant to lead us to repentance. So as we worship, if you need to run out and go make a phone call, that's fine. But I think that it's appropriate for us to stand. So stand with me. We're going to sing and worship our king. If there is repentance, then, then that's something that you need to do in your heart. That's great. But we're going to worship. And we're going to sing um, and thank God for his great grace on us. Uh, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your kindness. That you have led us, many of us, to repentance, sin, and faith in your, in your glorious gospel. Whatever we need to do, Lord Jesus, to be obedient and follow you, I pray that we would. If someone in this room is not even a Christian and they're kind of like... What, what is this about? That they would see you, the kind God of the universe, loving us, dying on a cross for us and raising again. And that in you we have life. <clears throat> Lord, just make us a group of people who reflect you that are kind. Stand on truth, but do it in a kind way.